Welcome, Lori. Thanks for um, your laughter <laughs> and, and hanging with us, too. Um, I guess let's, let's get this started. Um, let's say it's 10 years ago um, and uh, how you were initially approached painting in your artistic life. Talk to us a little bit what was going on and what led you up to the realization or the aha moment that you needed to maybe do more and, com and commit to an artistic life. Well, um, 10 years ago, I was still a graphic designer. I wasn't painting full-time. Uh, actually, my 10-year my anniversary as a full-time painter is next April Fool's Day, so that tells you a little bit about my personality <laughs> right there. Um, but uh, prior to that, um, you know, I was doing graphic design uh, 80 hours a week, so really you could only paint maybe a couple hours on the weekends, you know. Um, and I'm a yeah. I'm a realist. I knew that my work was was really bad, and that the only way I was going to ever get better at it was to, to devote more time to it. And so, mm -hmm. uh, unlike a lot of people who go full time because their work is ready for market, I went full time to learn to do this. And um, so it was, you know, that's really scary to give up. An income for no income, but um, that's what that's what had to happen. So, and that's uh, like as I say, that would be uh, April Fool's Day, two thousand and five. I did that. Wow, great! So frustrations early on. The um, naturally, I mean, we can all identify with this. You said you were a realist and you knew your work wasn't there, but there had to be a ton. Because <laughs> I know I have had a ton of frustrations that led up to, you know, saying, okay, I really have to get serious about this. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of those that you, if you can remember them, because I know we all like to forget them too, so. Well, you know, any time that you are, are um, miserable, um, not so much with what you're doing, but with what you can't do. It, it just takes mm -hmm. a toll on you, and uh, I was really, really lucky to have good design work, you know, coming in steadily, but uh, there was this easel over there staring at me with, you know, horrible paintings on it, and that's that can be, you know, just almost downright depressing to think about, yeah, and that's yeah. all that will ever be, um, and it's really... You know, kind of a combination of things that finally just pushed me to say, "I'm I'm going to do this," and uh, took about a year to phase out, you know, all of my clients and and take the plunge and and you know, of course, scared to death the whole time, but um, yeah. I, I could not do it if that makes any sense. It was like now or never, um, and. Many times I've thought that again. It's now or never. You know? <laughs> it's just, it, you know, you if you if it's in you, somehow you can't avoid it forever. And it just got to that point. Mm -hmm. I could no longer say, yeah, this is fine with me to never learn how to do that. You know. Right. Right. So um, I, one of the things that that I wish that I had never that I had not done earlier on and naturally we all grow and our paintings always change, but I, I and, and I actually got um, counseled 
to do this as well is to not get out there so early in marketing yourself. Mm -hmm. So did you find it harder to just actually paint or to stay away from trying to market yourself until you really felt like you were ready? Which, which was harder? Well, unfortunately, I have this marketing mind, and I don't know why. <laughs> that part comes, you know, marketing ideas come to me so much easier. Uh, now, it's hard to market myself because, you know, you have to have confidence in the product that you need to market. And as I said, you know, there yes. was no confidence at all in the work. Um, <laughs> And in always people, whether it was directly or indirectly, always people willing to substantiate my insecurities uh, by reminding me that I had really bad work, um, which is draining <laughs> for your soul. Mm -hmm. And um, so if anything, I have to uh, try to, I've, I had to try to not say I could do something that I couldn't do. Um, I didn't listen to myself very often, though. Usually, I would um, I would say, "Oh, sure, I can do that. That's six months from now. Surely, I can figure out how to do that by then." And you know, agree to something and market it and put it out there. And then there's something about that pressure that, if it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. And um, right. Uh, and so you quickly learn. I, I remember the day I came out and had been sort of working on this plan to teach a workshop in Italy because my husband has such an affinity for Italy and we wanted to figure out a way to go back and I'd spent like a year in secret trying to figure out how we could do that and I came out and I said, I'm going to teach a workshop in Italy and he said, you? <laughs> and I mean, he's my biggest but <laughs> he knew that was a huge stretch. You? You know, he's so honest. Um, but, but the difference is, uh, you know, the, I mean, the marketing part's hard because we have no self-esteem at all. At, at least I don't. Mm -hmm. And the and like I said, it it can drain at your soul to to have that sort of on you all the time and what you should say or what you shouldn't say and how much just sounds like me 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 and how much is off-putting. Um, but the learning to paint course is also very hard. It is just that even right. on the worst days, that fills your soul. You know, a failed day painting is much better than a great day marketing, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it, it's it's really is interesting too because making that decision of like you did making the the leaps. Okay, I'm going to teach a workshop in Italy, and you knew what you had to do to get there. Um, and be prepared, it, it, it certainly made you commit to, okay, I have to paint every day or I have to paint wisely every day. <laughs> so not just throw paint, you know, paint up there. You have to have goals that you work towards for that to happen. It, it's, I, it, when I sit there and look back at some of the art that I shared early on that I thought was really wonderful <laughs> that now has reached the fire pit, so, so to speak. It, it is amazing um, that growth, that whole, if you look at the journey, it's just so amazing how much growth is there. I don't know if that makes any well, sense. I, but I don't know, I don't mean for this to sound as altruistic as it will, but I haven't found a painting yet that I think is really all that great. So, uh, you know, the 
the um, the growth is still really happening, and I'm very lucky for that. I mean, I hope it happens forever, but uh, yeah, you know, it's easy to even to look at to look at paintings that are not all that old and say, "Wow, what was I thinking?" And um, but it's a little bit like waiting, you know, they used to say when I grew up a Southern Baptist, and they used to say, you know, waiting to get saved is like, wait, you know, waiting till you're perfect to get saved is kind of stupid, that you'll never do that, you'll never be perfect, and um, so there's something about having some just desire and drive and sheer determination that gets you places as well, you know. Um, right. But it is it is good to to burn some of those old things because you don't want them to ever surface once once you're dead and gone. Right. Yeah. I'm a trying to figure out how I can get them all off the internet. Yeah. A lot of things you wish you could get back, you know. But but that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it's really interesting too because you don't know until you actually start to see your progress. You know, like it'll come. You keep hearing that it'll come. Just you know, relax. Just keep continuing to paint. It'll it, you know, it'll come. And you sit there and you think, no, it won't. You know, and it's like every time I go out and paint, it's no, it won't. You know, it's not going to come. You know, but but also if you look at some of the masters of today and you look at their progress through and where they were when they started and where they are today, and and it's absolute reinforcement into giving that confidence of yes, you will continue to to get better. Well, and it's also, there are two other pieces of, uh, to think about of that. One is, let's say you go out today and you actually do paint the best painting you've ever painted in your life, um, and you're proud of it for maybe an hour or two. It, tomorrow, it doesn't mean that tomorrow's will be that good. Um, or whatever, you know, you're learning, and so yeah. sometimes you get these breakthroughs that you're not exactly sure how they happened, and so you, it's not that you can repeat them, but hopefully at least it's some hint of where you're going and what's to come. Um, and a lot of people's work that we admire at a particular stage in our own growth, then the more we learn and grow, uh, it's not that we admire them less, but we can see the struggles that they are having as well, where before those weren't evident to us. And that's an, an encouraging and discouraging at the same time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So let's let's talk about the commitment a little bit. What Did you sit down and, and write out, okay, this is what I want to do, this is my objective, and this is how I'm going to get there, or was it just... Um, I'm going to throw caution to the wind, and this is what I'm going to do. Uh, it, it probably looks like I just threw all caution to the wind, but I'm such a planner and long-range planner kind of person. Uh, I'm not really sure that it was one particular thing that I could say about the commitment. I mean, some of it was clearly happenstance, some of it divine intervention, some of it naivete. <laughs> um, I did have sort of a, a an idea in my head of what being successful would mean to me, and being successful, honestly, is just being better, you know, this week than I was last week. And oh, by the way, I hope I can pay my bills at the end of the week. And so, um, 
I've always been a hard worker. I'm a workaholic. I've never had any problem whatsoever making myself get up and go to work. And that's what this is. It just happens to be work that I love, but it's it's 14 or 16 hours a day of work that I love. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have a no-fail kind of personality. And it doesn't mean that I'm confident in what I, I'm doing. It just means I'm stubborn about giving up. And... Um, so as long as, you know, I, I could see myself stretching and growing and not taking any easy way out, uh, and I just have never let myself think that this wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, some of that has to do with learning the craft and experimenting, and some of it has to do, like I said earlier, with just sort of taking challenges and opportunities that come along whether I think I'm ready for them or not. Mm -hmm. So, um, can just out of you, you were saying sixteen-hour days, um, and, and believe me, I understand what you're talking about. But just for our listeners and, and those who aren't sure, just kind of run us through what a typical day with Lori would look like if we're following you around. Oh, that's that's kind of sick. Um, you know, so, and it's also scary. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave out certain things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. Of course, you know. Obviously, it depends on if I'm on, on what the situation is, because that you know could be right. teaching or you know, and all of that aside, it, it's right. it's a long day. I mean, if I'm painting, which is surprisingly what I'm supposed to be doing most of the time, uh, you know, then it's I do paint as long as there's natural light coming in the studio, and. So in the summer, that's a very, very long day. Now in the winter, it's shorter, mm -hmm. so I get grumpier because I don't get to paint as long. I don't do very well painting under artificial lights. It's just better for me to paint by natural light. And so, um, you know, that dictates how long the painting time goes. But then there is that other time that is spent in, you know, I'm, I'm chief cook and bottle washer and bookkeeper and marketing person and all of that as well and planning for workshops and making travel arrangements and so a typical day is just packed as, as hard as I can go all day long and that's beginning to be a little exhausting um, mm -hmm. hoping to cut back on some of that um, because I think the painting time is getting uh, squeezed out due to travel and teaching and things like that. And I, I won't give that up, obviously, but I, I've, I've got to find a little bit better balance in that. Uh, I, I'm tired, uh, just physically, not emotionally. Um, I'm excited. I just don't have the, the, the uh, energy to keep up this pace, you know, so. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Both Lori and I are battling the um, the hay fever or whatever you want to call it that we have in our, our neck of the woods. Um, Lori's about a state away from me, I guess. Um, I'm in Ohio. She's in Tennessee. Um, so <laughs> if you hear us clearing our throats, we, I, I apologize, but <laughs> it's, it's where we live. So Cincinnati sinuses is what I always call it. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Lori, um, great, great, great things uh, that, that were said there. And um, you know, setting priorities is just so important, um, and naturally, you know, the the main priority for for artists and or painters 
or and or writers is that the biggest majority of your time is spent behind your easel painting because that's the product. If you don't have a product coming out the door, um, the marketing doesn't matter or the rest of the things don't matter. So I, I can imagine that you're you're very much like I am where you know you I'm painting or writing you know during the day and then in the evening is when I typically do all the other business work and and mm -hmm. things like that because that can be done and, and isn't as as crucial as um, actually painting or or doing that and if you especially if you're painting with um, natural daylight because and in winter yeah you're right and how, that's so much less of that mm -hmm. going on so mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit that in, in your conversation or with yourself about uh, committing to do this did you realize that you needed to have have a mentor or mentors plural and if so how did you go about um, finding them and securing them um, well, I, Don Whitelaw was you know, my first real mentor, um, and, and I'd had many other teachers who you know, had been beneficial to learning, of course, but she, she just went beyond that, and she still does, and I'm really lucky that we've become great friends, um, and I remember, you know, when I first got to know her, not... I never had any idea that we would become this close as friends. I, you know, she just is such an amazing teacher and so giving that I knew if I was going to give this a shot, I needed somebody who would would be like that. And I remember approaching her. I was a little bit afraid because I knew she had so much going on and a great career of her own to take care of. But she just took me right in and and everything, you know, from painting and learning better painting skills to, you know, how to run a business, um, you know, the ethics of the business. I already had some of that, but not as it related to fine art. And so uh, I was really lucky to have her uh, come come into my life sort of accidentally. And Quang Ho was sort of out of the blue as well. Um, you know, I guess at first I was probably drawn to something about the way he paints, but that mm -hmm. that's that's a that's a little bit about uh, where you are at a certain point in your own artistic development, and eventually it becomes more about finding somebody whose philosophy you want to um, to know more about and to sort of get into their brain about. It, it, it comes after you know about the tools. You need something else, and that's what he became for me and uh, there's not a day that goes by that either something he said or Dawn said or Scott Christensen or any of those guys have said that whether it's about the process of painting or dealing with deadlines or just a way that I could envision a career in the future or whatever they, they're in my head every day still and um, I'm really lucky that I, at any point in time I could call any of them and they would help me um, with whatever I needed and so um, it it's uh, it's about maybe first of all finding something you like in someone's work but it goes further than that you know it goes to a deeper thing than that to have a mentor um, and I'm, uh, it's, it's a real, uh, almost not a burden in a bad way, but a, but a burden that you feel when somebody else starts to feel about you that way. You're like, oh my, wait a minute, 
can, am I up to that? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I'm really, 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 really blessed to have those people in my life. Yeah, it's um, teaching is is both a blessing and a curse. Um, we we both teach, and you know it's very hard. Um, it's very easy, but it's the magic go back. I'm trying to figure out a way to say this that doesn't sound really bad, <laughs> but um, you know it's like I don't want people to paint like me. Right. I want people to understand how to accomplish what it is they want to accomplish in their own style. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, in some ways it's a curse, in some ways it's a blessing that you can actually help people, you know, become creative and, and you know, paint beautiful things. Um, mm -hmm. And then at the same time, it's just like, you know, I always cringe in my class when they're going, you make it look so easy, you know, <clears throat> just, excuse me, just go ahead and, you know, right. do it for me. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. doing it for you. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, you have all kinds of people that come to you to learn, and sometimes, you know, knowing where they are, trying to remember what it feels like, which is not difficult because I haven't been doing this this long, but to feel, remember what it feels like to be in that particular place. Um, you know, what are they after? Are they after just some facility with mm -hmm. a brush, or are they after something deeper? Are they what are they looking for and then figuring out if that's what they need from you or do they need to not get that from you right because, you know would hold them back it's I take teaching really seriously and I was um, you know when Dawn first started helping me she wouldn't you know take anything in return all she asked was that I pass it on and I took that charge seriously mm -hmm. and I enjoy teaching and uh, you know I get a lot out of it myself I mean if you've got a workshop of 18 people and they paint three or four paintings a day you've got 60 or 70 paintings that you're painting in your head and so that's a mm -hmm. lot of growth for myself um, but it's also it's very draining and very exhausting and and uh, I spend a lot of time just thinking, how can I make everybody in this class get what they need out of it? And of course, you can't do that. There's always going to be one or two people that either they're not ready for it, or they're stubborn, or you know, or whatever. But um, I think it's important to teach. But I also think that right now I'm in a place where I need some of my own growth time again. And so I'm gonna I'm cutting my workshops next year to about half. Because I, I need yeah. I need that for myself. Yeah, as draining as um, you know, being in a workshop could be. Being on the other end of that and teaching a workshop is also you know is 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 even to me more draining. I mean, I, I would help Kevin, <clears throat> excuse me, with his workshops, and um, you know, it, by the end of the day, whether you were painting, you're tired. Uh, if you're setting up the workshop and you're you're mm -hmm. out there like you said talking with 10 to 15 people and you're you have to get into each of their heads more or less so that you can mm -hmm. help them, you know it, it's almost to me it's like three times more draining to run the workshop than it is to attend one. Right. And, um, right. So yeah, my hats off to you for all the workshops that you've been doing, but can understand where where that needs to um, where you need to step back a little bit. But it's always interesting too is when you know that that person's on the edge of a breakthrough. Oh yeah. And 
you can see you know, you see the frustration, you see how frustrated they are, but you know they're one or two brush strokes away from realizing what it is that they want it to do, and then watching that occur, what a reward. Exactly, and that's that's a big big part of of doing it is just to see a little bit of somebody um, having a breakthrough, whether it's even apparent to them yet or not, but you can see it. Um, but that doesn't mean everybody that leaves, you know, <laughs> your workshop is all happy and excited either. You know, they could still leave <laughs> frustrated, but you you know that some seed was planted and 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 you can see it, and they'll someday someday they'll thank you for that. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, and, and and there's always the connection that's made, so they know that you know. I know you're very, very approachable um, as far as somebody, you know, dropping you a note saying, hey, Lori, I studied with you, and, and look what, you know, I, I, it happened. It came through. You know, it's like you still share that moment with them. And, right. um, you know, part of the, the things that we talk about, um, you know, you have been involved in the American Impressionist Society. Um, you've been involved with uh, Plain Air Magazine and things like that. Can you tell us um, a little bit about how those projects, and there's probably some that I even left out, Lori, so feel free to, to you know, use those if, I, if there's one that, that answers the question more um, meaningly. But basically, you know, how has being involved in Plan Air Magazine, American Impressionist Society, um, all of the different organizations that you're involved with, how has that helped you? Um, what, what are the key things that you get from being involved in those? Um, well, you know, that, of course, anytime you're involved with any society, you get a lot from it, whether you mean to or not. You know, I never took on any work with AIS as a means to get anything personally from it. And, um, you know, it just happens. Things like that just happen. Uh, and whether it's a local uh, you know your local plein air chapter or any any other thing that you can be involved in you reap rewards that you don't get into that you know necessarily to do that and um, but you, you'd like to think that somewhere down the line the work is what matters you know eventually mm -hmm. um, you know that the work supports whatever hype you're getting whether it's plein air magazine or art of the west or southwest art or any of those magazines that have been been good to me this past year and um, I know that the career would be very short-lived if the work doesn't substantiate what's happening and being said out there um, mm -hmm. At the same time, I mean, how many of us have somebody just randomly knock on the front door and say, hey, you know any good artists around here? I mean, that's not going to happen. You know, you've got to get the <laughs> word out, and you've got to, you, you know, being a part of some organization and helping out uh, in some way or other is just common sense. And we, we have some great local organizations here, the Chestnut Group and the Tennessee Art League and a lot of ways to be involved locally, uh, magazines here. Nashville Art Magazine, um, you know, and so getting in those things is just as important in some sense because it's a, it's a more manageable way to start. Um, but, you know, if, if it was just a few months prior to 
the career sort of taking off that I was just about to throw in the towel. I was so frustrated. Um, Mm. and you know just trying to figure out how to pay my bills and these opportunities and chance meetings came along and and connecting with with people just by happenstance and all of a sudden off we go you know um, but but I still have to focus on painting better and producing more significant works of art or that won't last you know it'll just be flashing right. the pen stuff and that one hit wonder you know kind of thing and um, you know when AIS when all that came about I it was just kind of a shock to have been asked to take on such significant roles in the organization being new to it and um, and I was really excited and proud to be part of that and then it was time that I had paid my dues there and 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 somebody else needed an opportunity to to work with them as well and so you also have to know when to move on and that's kind of hard if you get in an organization that you're the whatever the president or vice president or whatever for a number of years it can it can not be good for them or you and so I think learning when to move on is a good thing too mm -hmm. absolutely um, I just wanted to take a second, um, and we've got about 147 folks that are listening live. Um, I'm not sure if this was covered because the beginning of this was kind of hectic, but if you have a question for Lori, please type that in the chat area, The type your question in there. Sarah will be looking at those, and then when um, Lori and I are done chatting, you'll have an opportunity to ask Lori some questions. So I just wanted to put that out there to our folks that are listening and, and again I'm glad you're out there uh, listening to us thanks for joining us um, so Lori let's go back a little bit we, we kind of touched early, earlier on here about um, teaching and um, plain air and what I wanted to, what we didn't touch on that was um, some advice so let's talk with uh, folks who are just starting plain air uh, what kind of advice would you give those folks uh, well, for for beginners, I would just say just get out there and do it. You know, um, don't make excuses for not doing it because a lot of times you're just afraid, and you know your first few times out in particular are really horrible. But the truth is, everybody who who goes out and paints uh, has ones that they scrape off and get rid of, and so don't don't let that hold you back. Just it's the best tool I think for growing and learning uh, as an artist even if you never intend to frame one it's good exercise mm -hmm. um, for more experienced plein air painters I would just say and I'm preaching to myself here um, <laughs> not to be careful to not exhibit anything other than your best work and you know don't get caught up in how many paintings you think you need for this exhibit and all of that and, and I have to remind myself of that over and over again and if I can't make a good decision about if this piece is is worthy of showing then probably I know in my heart it's not but find somebody who'll be truthful with you and talk to you about it and and say no you know that's that's really not your strongest work um, I think that we get a great opportunity to exhibit good plein air work and in, in these 
uh, and festivals and things, but sometimes we're also a little bit, you know, we get this idea of, oh, but if I hung that one up, somebody else might like it and they might buy it and, and don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really great piece of, uh, of advice and I'm guilty of it too. It's, you know, I'm so excited that I got something done <laughs> instead of actually just stepping back and saying, is this something I want to put out on the internet where it's going to live for a hundred years or more? Or is this something I want to put out, like you're saying, at an event where I have possible collectors that mm -hmm. you know I could cultivate? Um, yeah, so great, great piece of advice uh, on that one. So tell us about your studio. We've been, if you're on Facebook, Lori's on Facebook, and you've been seeing pictures of this going up. Is Mark building this studio? Well, he's uh, he's acting as a general contractor, and we're doing a lot of the work ourselves. Oh, okay. or I should say he's doing a lot of the work. Okay. I help when I'm in town, which is not often, but but a lot of it is also, of course, subcontractors and and things like that. Um, but yeah, we're doing a lot of it, just uh, partially because as much as I love my husband, he's stubborn and he likes to do things himself. You know, if he wants <laughs> it done right, he's going to do it himself. Um, Right. And, I mean, who else has somebody who's going to build a studio like that for them? So I can't really complain, can I? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> so it sounds wonderful. So um, tell us uh, future plans with the studio. And um, I think I had a question also in here about, you know, you're a plain air painter and yet you have this gorgeous studio. So talk a little bit about um, how you are intending on using your studio as well as continuing to plein air paint because I know you won't give up going outside to paint. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, plein air, but but plein air isn't always just an end. It means to an end for me. Some, you know, most of the time it's used as inspiration for larger studio paintings, and I love to paint in the studio. The conundrum is I want to be both places at one time, and you can't do that. But <laughs> um, I I love to go out and and do what I call. Uh, being hunter-gatherer, you know, in plein air and finding facts to bring back and use as inspiration for big pieces. And I'd much rather paint from a studio sketch that's not perfect than from a perfect photo. Now, I, I use a combination a lot of times of photos and plein air reference, but it's better if I have a plein air reference to work from and the uh, studio is uh, facing due north, and so I have I'll have good north white, and um, we actually put it a little at an angle on the lot that we bought, got five acres out in the country, so that it would would be due north, and so I should get good light in there. Uh, it's we made it large enough that I can have smaller sized workshops. Uh, but not so big that I would rattle around uh, by myself. And we have a tiny living space there. We're going to live there. So people say, oh, you're building a house with a studio. And I say, no, we're building a studio with a bedroom. And um, that's really what it is. The, you know, there's a, an option for maybe a stage two, maybe not. Uh, that includes a larger structure that would be just a house. But I don't know. The jury's still out on if we want to do that or not. Um, right now, it's just about getting this nice big space and have the winter to produce some some big pieces. I've got some. I'm excited about some exhibition opportunities that I have coming next year, and I need to be able to 
have a space to work and get those done. So looking forward to it. Oh, okay. So I was under the impression that you were going to have two buildings, but it's not. It's one building. So you're going to live in your studio. That's wonderful. So, yeah, you know, we don't require okay. a lot. I mean, so just having a, a place to sleep and a kitchen and a bathroom. And if we ever built the other structure that was a house, then there, at least there would still be guest quarters for somebody, you know, to stay in the studio if they came. But it's it's more about right. just getting getting the studio part ready to use and and the rest of it. You know, we've been living in a tiny apartment since we sold our home nine years ago, and so we we're used to not having an awful lot of space. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you travel so much. I mean, you're you're on the road a lot. I don't know how many days a year out of the year you're on the road, but I would bet it's over 200. It's too many. That's how many it is. And um, yeah. so, I, yeah, yeah, I really am trying to cut back on that. Um, I, I say that every year, but I, <laughs> I have less than half as many workshops next year and, and half as many plein air festivals next year. And it's not because I don't love them. I just, like I said earlier, I need, I need the studio time. Right, right. So uh, when you're painting out plain air, um, 9 by 12, 8 by 10, what size are you typically painting? Um, prob well, nothing less than an 8 by 10, sure, you know, obviously, and it's it's difficult to paint 8 by 10, I think. To paint really small is harder for me. Uh, 14 yeah. 18 is really comfortable. I love that size. I don't know why. But I do, but you know, I'll, I'll paint up to an 1824, 2024 uh, in plein air, and it, it doesn't seem too big. I'm a really fast painter, um, but it's uh, sometimes for travel easier, of course, to have a smaller sizes like you know 1114, or um, I don't have a particular size. I guess is what I'm saying. It's it's more. Okay. What dictates the the need right now? If I'm driving around in my car, I'd have every size in, under the sun in the back, um, and just in case I see a scene that needs something, and just calls for that. Great. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think what else I can can ask you here. We're getting kind of down on our um, the the questions that we have, but again, uh, feel free to type in. And then uh, um, Sarah will be asking our um, audience questions here shortly. Um, other mediums, do you paint just in oils or do you play around with watercolors or pastels or anything like that? Uh, just for my own personal enjoyment and not, I don't get to do it as much as I'd like. Um, I used to do a little bit more of it and I like to get back to it. And recently, I finished a bas-relief coin that's at the foundry being cast in bronze right now uh, for a loom gallery out in Salt Lake City. So that's exciting. But um, primarily, of course, I'm known as an oil painter, and that, that's what I love. The feel of is the feel of the oil. Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about that coin again, Lori. I saw well, it on the I saw it on your Facebook page, but. I, yeah, um, a loom gallery has one of their artists every year create a coin, 
and it becomes a collector's item. Uh, people who purchase work through the gallery at a certain spending level are gifted the coin. You can't buy them, and at the end of the year, that coin is retired. And so it's it's a a way of collecting work. And um, so I I am the 2015 artist, so I had to get this coin ready for next year's. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. It, you know, it was it was really fun to do, and I had had done just a small amount of sculpting, nothing to barely even speak of. But it it is the one time I'm not painting in my head, and so I, I needed that, and it came at a good time to to do this for them. Right. Yeah, so um, out of curiosity, do you do any drawing and like I guess take take us through uh, if you're willing to a um, kind of a thought process that you go to through when you're in plain air. Do you start out with a sketch in a, a sketchbook and then move to the canvas, or do you just sketch it out on the canvas and go from there? I do better <laughs> if I make myself do a sketch. <laughs> But it's not about the drawing so much as it is about the design and the balance of the thing. Uh, finding, finding a good uh, abstract balance between you know light and dark or light and shadow or whatever it is that I'm painting. And uh, if I feel good about that, then I can move on to the canvas. I don't. So my sketches are not drawings at all in plein air. Um, the they they serve a completely different purpose than a, a drawing would. There are no details at all in them, as a matter of fact. So, mm -hmm. so more concentration on um, abstract state shapes and yeah. the abstract. Yeah, absolutely. Part. Okay, cool. Absolutely. That's what draws yeah. me to want to paint something anyway. You know, I, like mm -hmm. I don't care what the subject is. I just want to see it in some abstract way and then flush it out from there. Any interest or desire in doing any kind of um, gesture drawings or figurative drawings? Is that something you might want to oh, go some of off that. into if you had more time? Yeah, no, yeah. I've done some of that and I enjoy doing some of that. It, you know, it's uh, a for a while, not not really a long time, but for a while, you know, I did some portrait work. Uh, I love to do the figure. I, I love all of that. And as soon as I can find time, I'd love to do more. <laughs> I think it's yeah. all about yeah, it's all about being artistic, and um, and I I hope that as time goes on uh, in my career, I can find more time for that sort of growth. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all about time. It seems to be <laughs> yeah, anymore. It is. It is. So. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah. One one of the things that um, I always think and I always question myself on uh, when I'm painting is you know bringing emotion into the painting. Um, and a lot of folks will say you know well, you have to live a certain emotion before you can you know experience it or put it into a painting. And um, you know do, do you think that's true or or to me, it, it's almost it's underneath everything else that I'm thinking about. The, the emotion comes into it kind of automatically for me, and and maybe that's not good. But but I don't really sit back and and say, 
okay, I want this to, you know, scream joyful or something. It just <laughs> kind of actually happens. So you find the same type of thing? I, it's so elusive. Well, you know, um, I mean, from the day we're born, practically, we have experiences and emotions. I mean, I have a beautiful mm -hmm. granddaughter who is, yeah. you know, just starting to finger paint. And she's right. putting on that paper or the tub or the walls or whatever, whatever is coming out of her naturally. Uh, so whether it's who we are as an adult artist or whatever we're responding to today, you know, we can only be what we can be. And the, mm -hmm. the, the bigger thing for me is, and, and I say this a lot, uh, when I'm teaching or or when it, or in books, you know, or whatever, that I, I don't, I'm not a formula painter anyway. You know, I'm a response mm -hmm. kind of painter, and so um, it may have less to do with something uh, emotionally scarring or <laughs> you know something from my past. <laughs> Although I was slapped by a teacher at in the first grade because I colored outside the line. So who knows? That could have had something to do with it. But uh, it's more of a responding to what's, <laughs> to what's in front of me right now than something that happened yesterday. <laughs> you scared me to death when you said when you said you were slapped by a teacher. Oh, oh my was. God, tell me which artist it was because I don't think I want to go to his workshop. No, it was, no, I was in the first grade. I was, I was in the first grade in elementary school. <laughs> but I still remember it now, don't I? <laughs> yeah, you do it. I grew up, um, I went to Catholic school and um, we. I just have to share this real quick story with you. But I was working at Procter & Gamble and my boss and I were in a meeting and he opens the drawer and he pulls out a ruler and my hands went automatically underneath the desk or the table that we were talking at and he looked at me and he goes, what was that about? And I said, you got a ruler out, sorry. Oh. <laughs> we oh, had wow. teachers that would come and bang yeah. with the ruler with, you know, we were yeah. doing something we were supposed to do and he just thought yeah. that was like so hilarious that <laughs> I still yeah. had that reaction. I had, a drawing yeah, so. I had a drawing teacher that allowed no erasers whatsoever. Don't put the mark down unless it's right. Mm. He's like, okay, maybe that works in your world. I always tell my students that the uh, drawing is 90% erasing and 10% and of putting the line where you actually want it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, he would not have. You would not have done well in this class. <laughs> no, I probably would have been abused pretty badly. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. So we're. I think we're down to probably our last two questions, and, and we always get these questions um, from the audience. So I'm gonna go ahead and, and have you um, say it here. Let's talk about the tools that you use. I know you use Rosemary and Company brushes. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, probably 98% of my work I do. Uh huh. Um, I okay. was. Um, I was you want to talk a little bit about which I was one? not doing that, and then uh, you know. Kwong was beating shapes into my head, like, why aren't you making nice shapes? And then I, I realized that I, I, it was like I was uh, turning an egg with a pitchfork. You know, I was using the same brush for every <laughs> shape. And so getting better tools and better shaped tools and different kinds of tools and uh, 
he introduced me to rosemary brushes and now I'm addicted to them uh, because I can make so many wonderful lovely shapes and it's amazing how many people since I started using them said wow you know you you've really come into your own style I'm <laughs> thinking or you know maybe I just finally gave up that pitchfork I don't know but <laughs> yeah, yeah it's amazing when you find the tool that really clicks with you and it does mm -hmm. make a, a big difference and, mm -hmm. and I know that Rosemary and Company has a Lori Putnam um, set right so if you're interested in knowing what kind of actual brushes that Lori has yeah go ahead Lori yeah they they do and and um, I start Gamlin is putting together a Lori Putnam Gamlin paint set so <laughs> if you want to have any questions whatsoever on what to use <laughs> right so then um, Gamlin paints um, mm -hmm. just if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about your palette um, to start out with um, well, it, uh, it, it kind of depends. Uh, if I'm going to be hiking a long way, then and I, I've got a very, very basic palette, uh, uh, cad yellow, either medium or light, and natfall red, French ultramarine, and titanium zinc white. Uh, if I have the luxury of having the secondaries with me, then I'll, I'll have cat orange deep, and cronacridone violet and permanent green light. In the studio for convenience, mm -hmm. I've got all kinds of fun things that I use just just because I can squeeze up <laughs> big piles of them and paint faster, you know. So, um, right. But that you know, it's it's good to know that you can go back with just that basic three colors and white palette and mix anytime you need to. And I, I did that for about six years. That's that's all I used was three colors and white just to to really learn color mixing so mm -hmm. I think that's important yeah. and that's why yes absolutely um, it's amazing uh, when you start out with the, the three primaries and mix from there and whatever combination that you use warm and cool temperature whatever um, it really does help you understand I think uh, color theory so much easier mm -hmm. uh, and, and also uh, value controlling the values as well. I think those kind of go hand in hand. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but well, you color, have an opportunity not to. <laughs> color relationships, you know, you can mix so many of, of those things that mimic the tubed earth colors so closely that right. you understand how similar um, they are and how different they are instead of just pulling one and using it because it's what you always use you know it's really educational right. to do that yeah and um, let's talk about your plein air setup your easel and things um, I, uh, I, tell us about that I have more easels than I know what to do with but I usually use an open box M um, because it's pretty versatile for the sizes I paint it's really lightweight and uh, so I have three different sizes of them, which is not something I like to admit, but uh, I've tried a lot of different things and there are a lot of different great great ones out there. That's just the one I always gravitate back to and I think it's probably due to the weight of it. If you've got a backpack full of gear and you're you know, hiking for a few hours, you need, need it to be as light as possible. Right. Okay, um, so tell us, I'm, I actually am going to add a, uh, 
a, a question in here, Lori, and it, it, it's okay, don't panic. <laughs> we've been looking at a lot of your wonderful work as we've been talking, and I actually haven't had you uh, talk about your work. Um, I don't know if there's anything specific that you'd like to say about any of the images that you provided us, but um, other than the fact that they're simply gorgeous, uh, is there anything you'd like to, to tell the audience about the work that you've been, we've been showing? Well, um, some of it, you know, it's a combination of studio work and plein air work, and uh, the thing I love hearing the most is when somebody can't tell the difference. Um, you know, the image of the guys in the, in the oyster boats, for instance, that was a demonstration that I did last year at the Portrait Society for Gamlin. And, uh, you know, it very much looks like a rapid plein air piece to me. Um, the, mm -hmm. it's, it's really all about how can I get some idea, some characteristic feeling uh, about, you know, what I want to say, not accurately drawing this man's arm. Not that I think that that's a bad thing, but my work just doesn't isn't like that. My work is more um, response and sharing that response, you know, with with Wonderful. people who look at it. Um, the the images that are are the larger studio pieces. Um, I'm relatively sure I probably sent you an image of uh, Down to the Sea, which is a piece that just got um, a nice nice placement in the AIS show, and it, it means a lot to me because we actually lived in that place uh, for a couple of months, and I want to share that place with people, and the best way to do that is is to respond to it. I made a sketch on location, and then that's a studio piece from that sketch. Uh, and and to me, it's exactly the way that place feels. Is it 100% accurate and every little building drawn? No, but it's exactly the way that place feels, and that's what's important to me. Cool. Yeah, that uh, I love the I love your brushwork. Um, in the, in it's so lively, and and you can tell it is responsive to what you're feeling or, or seeing. So great job! I, I, I've been enjoying looking at the the paintings. So, but then again, I enjoy looking at them when you post them on Facebook too. So, <laughs> thank you. So anyway, um, yeah, the, tell us about what you have upcoming. I you know I, you we talked a little bit about it. you have an exhibit coming up uh, next year, I guess. Um, maybe some shows. Some workshops. Tell us about yeah. that. Um, well, I have a, actually I have an exhibition uh, and through Ringland College of Design and Art in December in Sarasota, and I'll be there for like a week-long residency and teach a workshop, and that's exciting. And then next year, as I said, I'm, I'm cutting the workshop schedule by about half. Um, I'm teaching and have solo exhibitions in Laguna and in Sedona, and then I'm also teaching in the Chesapeake Bay, and Dawn and I are doing a workshop in New Harmony next fall or late summer. I'll be on the main stage at the Plein Air Convention in April. That's exciting, and uh, 
doing a yeah. few few plenary invitationals that I really like, but you know, as I said, I'm cutting back on those as well. Um, an exciting thing is I'm going to have work at the Russell Museum auction in March, see Russell uh, oh. auction, and I have a huge exhibition in Dallas in November, and I have a DVD releasing just um, practically any day now. So there's a few things, <laughs> a few things to be excited about. <laughs> I'm laughing because what popped into my mind is what everybody always says to me. When do you sleep? Yeah, well, it's highly <laughs> overrated. You know, you can sleep when you're dead. I mean, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who needs that? <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing we're insomniacs, right? Go ahead, Laura. I didn't mean to... No, it's just it's a, it's a great blessing. It's you know it's exhausting, but it's a great blessing to have. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It it makes life fun. So um, we're I think at the point, Sarah. Um, hopefully, you've been gathering up questions for Lori from our audience. All right, we have some good questions. Um, we have a few minutes left to ask those. Luckily, here. Um, I'm going to combine <laughs> these two questions from. Let's see, where do they go? Lot and Donna. Um, Lot asks, how important is technical form formal education to be considered seriously in the art community? And then Donna's question is, in the beginning, how much time did you study with books, DVDs, etc.? I don't have, not all workshops have been helpful and I haven't found a mentor. So do you kind of want to talk about... Um, education and the best way to go about learning starting off? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a touchy subject actually because uh, I always assumed that I would get a degree and I do not have one, a formal degree. And for a while I sort of wore that chip on my shoulder more than other people held that against me. I held it against myself. Um, but the, the truth is finding just falling into the right people who've been helpful, I think, uh, particularly as an adult learner, I've gotten some past some of that feeling bad about myself for not having gotten the actual degree. I still respect it a great deal, but I know that I won't ever have it, and I've accepted that now. The first book I ever bought was Kevin McPherson book, and I didn't even know who Kevin McPherson was at the time. That shows, that shows how really dumb a person can be. But, uh, and so for a while I studied out of books, but I'm a visual learner. So seeing people do something and hearing what they're doing is really important to me. And that's the way I teach is by showing and, and talking, um, which doesn't, you know, it's not for everybody, but it's the way I learn. And it, you may just not, uh, Donna, you may just not have found the person who communicates the way that you need to hear it that makes uh, makes you feel like you're really getting a lot out of a workshop. Okay. Great point, Lori. Thank you. Nancy asks, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable with your quality of work before you started marketing yourself and showing your work? Well, the jury's still out on the comfortable with my work part. 
<laughs> um, you know, because every time you kind of almost get to some carrot or other, the carrot moves and you realize there's something else that you'd really rather know how to do before you put that out there. But Dawn helped me really, really in the very beginning figure out what things I could do uh, locally on the local level um, and at, at what level I could exhibit some things and and produce some things for for market and paying the bills before I dived into let's say you know putting a big ad in a magazine because that lasts longer uh, and on Facebook of course it lasts longer so I don't know I would say if you can put your work against the wall and it all looks like yours and not like every teacher you've ever studied with then you might be ready to get your work in front of a, a gallery and um, you know put it on the market but if your work still looks a little like you're not sure if even if you did that piece you may not be okay Thank you. Carol asks, can you talk about your goals, short-term, long-term, and suggest how others can set realistic goals? Um, short-term is just survive every day um, with, with um, some growth as a part of that, even if I'm on planes and in cars, and you know, to, to grow a little bit every day is, has to happen for me, or I get really sad and you know it could just be observation while I'm traveling things that click mm -hmm. uh, just through observation uh, midterm goals I think would be to find a little bit better balance between the giving and the, the giving back and the learning for myself and then I, I do have sort of this long-term envision myself as, um, you know, I'll always grow, but will I finally get to some point or other where I don't have this fear every day of um, where is where's the next opportunity coming from? It's clear that the opportunities are coming, but when will I? when will I rest in that and so I guess I, I picture myself feeling a little more at ease about this is this is the rest of my life I'm, I'm not going to be forced to give it up at any time and um, that that would be in a magnificent place to be thank you um, I like this question always uh, Terry asks how do you know when a painting is finished <laughs> well, you know, there are all those smart aleck answers out there. You know, everybody says, you know, well, when there's nothing else to put on it or whatever. When it's not going to help, don't add it. Um, I, I think there's a big difference between loose, sloppy uh, painting and painting, you know, unresolved painting and painting that is just free and expressive, but you paid attention to every area of it. And so if you have given every area due attention you'll know uh, that area has that area of the painting has all in it that it can hold and all that it needs to hold um, if it's just an area you don't know what to do with it's not finished thank you 
Um, let's see. I'm trying to combine some questions here so we can get to them all. How do you, oh wait, how long do you generally spend on plein air sketches and what do you do if you lose the light? Well, by doing a thumbnail sketch to begin with, I don't have to worry about the light moving. And I use that sketch to put the design on my canvas. So in theory, if I can get a sketch done and, that's, and that massing of the abstract shapes on my canvas in a short amount of time, like 15 minutes, then the light can do whatever it wants because uh, I have my plan and my design down. Uh, as far as how long I work on something in plein air, it depends on if it's winning or if I am. Uh, if, um, if I have a really clear idea, I can't paint fast enough and sometimes I look up and it's 45 minutes and I'm ready to go. Sometimes I'm standing there and I realize I've been there two and a half hours and there's no reason for me to be standing there anymore because it, you know, I, what I envisioned is not working. Either I don't have I didn't have a clear enough vision to begin with or, or something, somewhere I lost it. And just if you're working in plein air more than about an hour and a half, you're not responding to anything that's in front of you anymore anyway. The colors change, the lights change, the whole world has changed. So start another one. Thank you. Marie asks, can you repeat the three basic color palette that you use while hiking? Um, these are all Gamlin brand, and I say that because different color brands mix differently. They play well with each other in different ways. And so the ones in this particular brand uh, are, you can either use the Cad Yellow Light or Medium, Naphthol Red, and Ultramarine Blue. In a different brand, it might be a different red or a different yellow uh, that I would have to use. Um, in Blue Ridge oils, I was using a cad yellow medium, a pyrrole red, and ultramarine blue. So you have to just experiment and make sure that whichever three colors you have, they make good, clean secondaries. And if they do that, you know you have three colors that play well together. Great. Thank you. Uh, Kimmy asks, how do you pick a mentor and where do I find one? I've been at home living in the country, trying to learn all I can, but after spending some time listening, I need help. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really lucky that we have so many great artists in our area, and so it was it was not as difficult as it is if, you know, you're in an area where the nearest, maybe the nearest people you might feel like studying with face-to-face -face or, not, or not very near at all. But there are a lot of things you can do. Um, online luckily it's difficult I think because you have to find somebody that it's not just about how they paint like I said earlier it also has to be about their philosophy in terms of art and their turn in terms of um, their work ethic and that sort of thing but Facebook's probably a great tool for finding somebody like that you know you can learn a lot about a person by by the things that they post and how they post them and uh, you know, don't be afraid to approach somebody and just say, hey, do you do this? Or how can you help me? Or is there somebody you'd recommend? Um, please don't everybody email me today. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, let's see. 
Jacqueline, this is a question from Jacqueline and Vanita. Um, Jacqueline asks, how did you know you had enough talent to push ahead through the commitment process? And then Vanita asks, how long did it take to develop your own style? Or how did you develop your own style and how much time did it take? So I don't know if you want to kind of combine those. They're kind of similar. You know, talent's kind of a touchy thing. I, I, mm -hmm. I honestly think if I had more talent, I'd be a lot better. Um, I work hard. I work really, really hard. And there's not been anything that, you know, somebody has said, let's try this. And I've said, oh, I could never do that. You know, I just, I, I just work really hard. And there are a lot of very talented people who don't work hard. So I think hard work mm -hmm. is as much a part of it as anything. Uh, as far as finding my style, I remember Dawn telling me one time that you can't find it, it finds you. And that was depressing, <laughs> sort of. You know, but I used, to paint, I used to paint really, really tightly and highly rendered and tried to do that, you know, for the drawing part of it, for learning how to do more old masters looking things. They always never that great at it, but I did that for a while. And then I knew I that was not my personality. You know, I'm more like Tigger than Eeyore. And so I put um, a trash can between me and my easel and wouldn't let myself get close to my easel so that I had to learn to use my whole arm to paint and to be a little looser and to accept that looseness from back there rather than from three inches in front of my canvas, which always makes it look bad. <laughs> mm. Thanks. Um, let's see here. Um, I think I've asked a lot of the questions. Um, if you guys have any other ones, you can type them in real quick here. But um, let me, I'm just kind of looking through them all again to make sure. Um, somebody asked, I'm trying to find this one about how you store your canvas. Let's see. Hold on. Um, it's hard to read them because they all come in like one right after another and I can't even see them all and like the whole question until I click on it. I can only see like the first couple words so I'm trying to figure it out but um, I'll keep looking here. In the meantime, sorry whosoever question that was. Um, I want to let you guys know we have a special coupon code for you guys. If you want to shop at northlightshop.com, you can use ARTCHATS10 upon checkout, and you'll save 10% off your order. So that's a pretty generous coupon that they're giving um, off your whole order over there. So take advantage of that next time you shop with us at northlightshop.com. And then we are recording today's session. If you uh, – I'll clean it up a little bit. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you missed it. Um, but we'll have that up on artistnetwork.com slash art hyphen chats. And you can find uh, previous art chats there as well. And we usually have the information for the next art chats up there. And then also I want to remind everyone that Linda teaches with us at Artist Network University. And we have a brand new site over there. So if you hadn't had a chance to check that out yet, uh, go stop by and then join us for her course. You can save 20% with the coupon code NEWANU. And she has a course starting on November 25th, so we hope you'll join her for that. 
and we have a whole new platform and I think it's it's pretty great so I hope you guys will come join us and try that out all right uh, let's let me I'll keep looking do you have some other things you want to share Linda before we go what else do you have coming up uh, well I think December 3rd we're going to have a show with George Gallo whose book actually um, he has a book coming out with North Light Shop, um, and I think it actually releases that day, December 3rd. So we'll be talking to George about his book and um, the way he paints, and he paints large plain air, and we'll probably touch on a number of things that we've uh, talked about before, and then some of the things that he has coming up as well. Uh, and that will be on December 3rd, I believe. So uh, that's our next art chat. Okay. And then uh, in January we have one, one scheduled, and um, I know, Lori, you uh, also wrote a book, so if you want to real quickly tell them about your book. Uh, I do have a book. It's um, Demonstrations on Modern Impressionism, and it's basically six different, it's not exhaustive, but it's six of the main ways that I see a scene and demonstrations on how I would paint that scene. Um, and I also mentioned that I have a DVD that's about to release. Uh, Lily Doll's doing that, um, and I'll have that on my website as soon as, as it is available. But the book is already on my website, uh, which is gloryputnam.com. If you look under resources, you can find the book there. And um, I'm excited about the DVD. I've just started to see the the snippets, you know, there's an interview and there's a, a complete demonstration and there are lots of parts to it and I've, I've started reviewing those and it's uh, hard to see and hear yourself, but mm -hmm. um, I'm excited about it and it, it should be out soon. Cool, thank you. Um, I found Carolyn's question real quick. She submitted it again. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, she wants to know, since you live in a small space and you are prolific, do you work on cut unmounted canvas or how do you store your works? I've, I've had a, a studio space as well that I've been leasing for the last four years. It's next door to Dawn, as a matter of fact, which has been great. But um, I have stacks and stacks and stacks of stretched canvases that I've just, you know, unframed and they're either going to the burn pile or, or you know, whatever, but I'll reuse those stretcher bars of nothing else. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do work on panelists uh, an awful lot too. Obviously painting in plein air, I work on panel because I, I like to work on panel in plein air, but I'll do it in the studio sometimes as well. The, um, you know, the thing about building this new studio, and I, I continue to remind my husband of this, is it will be messy, and yes, we live there. And um, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a neat freak, but I, I've had to get over that. The, uh, the stretch canvases, I just am very careful not to, to allow one size, you know, that's going to make a, any kind of dent into another one, but they're just stacked against the wall as it is right now. And I, I don't know of any better way to do it. Um, they're, you know, we're, we're coming up with some ideas for the new studio, but that's because there's the space to do that in there. But it'll be a mess, and mm -hmm. there will be paint on the floor. Just just telling you, honey, so if you're listening. <laughs> uh, 
that's pretty much a given. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for joining us today. And Linda, it's great to work with you as always. And thanks everyone out there who stuck with us through all the technical difficulties. Um, I promise they're not always this way. So please join us on December 3rd and it'll go a lot smoother. I promise. But thanks again, everyone for being here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much guys. Thanks Lori. It's been great. All right. Yeah. yeah, Thanks for taking time out and thanks everyone for hanging in with us and we'll see you next time. December 3rd with George Gallo. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.